Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy Tuesday. I'm not sure when this will be out, but you know, hopefully your day is going as well as mine. And my co-host, the one, the only, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane's might be going. Dwayne, we're talking about the Cowboys today, and you got a Cowboys shirt on. Are you planning on wearing one for every single team of this series? Dude, no, no <laughs> just for the Cowboys. You know this. I, I do have a Kansas City shirt because my wife loves Patrick Mahomes because my son goes to Texas Tech, so there's a connection. Um, but hey, we just want we want the listeners to know that we listen. And it may have taken a little while, Ian, but we've had several people say Dwayne's mic sucks ass. And so we've taken care of it. So I don't know, like you said, what day this will come out, but it'll be the episode where now, hopefully, like the mic's way better. Dwayne got that upgraded mic. Seriously, people, if you have any questions about the audio, the visual, if you just think what we're talking about is a bunch of nonsense, hit us up on Twitter. I love getting feedback about the podcast, even when it's not so good, because guess what? We then go out and try to improve it because you, you listening to us right now, you are the person that we care about. I don't care about any of the other listeners, only you, the one hearing us right now. And that's why Dwayne now has his fancy, dancy mic. I'll have mine set up soon. I was saying before the show, Dwayne, you got me on the hot spot now. <laughs> We're going to start battling it out for mic quality. You know, certainly, uh, you know, the, the big winner either way is the listeners. So you with- just knew you didn't have to upgrade because mine was worse. Exactly. <laughs> I have been, uh, you know, skating by, but those days are over. With that said, great episode ahead of us. We finished off the AFC East last week. Now we are on to the NFC East. We'll continue to go through every single team up until July 8th, I believe, will be the last one. Looking at all the coaching stuff, notable offseason moves, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end preview. So with all that in mind, Dwayne, let's talk some 2022 Dallas Cowboys. Whole coaching staff is back. Mike McCarthy, offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, and Dan Quinn will be McCarthy's third season with the Cowboys. Kellen Moore's sixth and Dan Quinn's second. Now, the one good thing, Dwayne, Cowboys basically the anti-Seahawks in terms of, you know, moving with a sense of urgency <laughs> on offense. In 2019, since Kellen Moore has been offensive coordinator, they ranked second in situation neutral play, neutral pace. 2020th, they ranked second. 2021st, they ranked number one. Those numbers are courtesy of the fine folks over at Football Outsiders. So we've seen the pass play rate bump up. 19th, 14th, most recently 12th in non-garbage time situations. We did see stretches last year where, you know, during, I think, weeks two through five certainly was more of a balanced offense than I think we were maybe expecting. We had that Tampa Bay game. Dak was throwing the ball like 60 times. Clearly, that was more of a strategy thing. The Cowboys, I'm not saying they're going to ever be like this bottom five passing offense, but I think if they're able to control the game, if they're, you know, not in a situation where they're playing from behind, they would like to be a more balanced offense than I think we've seen for stretches. If you were playing Madden and you had to choose one of the generic playbooks, Ian, you would be choosing balance. Pass balanced. Yeah, there we pass go. Pass balance. <laughs> yeah, it's like a 60-40, right? It's not like 57-43. But yeah, like, man, dude, the plays per game have been great. Over the last three seasons, they've ranked, and if just excluding overtime, since we can't predict overtime, um, second, second, and sixth in the league. You know, so I mean, the league average over the last three years in plays per game, excluding overtime, is 63.4. Cowboys have been 67.2, 69.6, and 66.8. So, uh, same same staff back intact. So, yeah, really uh, great from a volume perspective. And even if they are pass balanced, having that 
fast pace of play has made them into one of the league's most pass-heavy offenses. Since 2019, they have the fifth most dropbacks in the entire league. Again, they've never even ranked as a top 10 offense in pass play rate, but you know, when they're just widening these games and running as many plays as possible, you end up getting that extra volume. So this does stand out as another offense where, yeah, we should be expecting multiple highly relevant fantasy performers because of all the volume at hand. So with that in mind, I want to quickly run through some of the key roster changes. Not too many to go through at least that running back. Corey Clement, the number three last year, remains an unrestricted free agent. Looks like the Cowboys are just going to be rolling with Jaquan Hardy, but as we know, you know, between Zeke and Pollard, not many other uh, opportunities left in that backfield. Uh, running back slash fullback from the Bears, Ryan Nall, is now on the Cowboys. Uh, deals worth less than a million dollars. Wouldn't necessarily guarantee he'll be on the roster. Wide receiver is where we got most of the big moves. Amari, Trooper, Amari Cooper traded to the Browns in exchange for just a fifth round pick. Dwayne, this Cooper trade didn't look great at the time, but it has aged terribly looking at what some of these other teams got in return. I understand Cooper was already on the contract, and he's not in the same stratosphere, I would say, right now as someone like Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams. But, man, a fifth-round pick, like, this is, I think, some some of these wide receiver trades, I think, are the best examples for, like, why, yes, the salary cap does exist. Teams can get under it, but, you know, you got to let good freaking players like Amari Cooper go sometimes in order to do so. Yeah, and the storyline here in Dallas, and, and who knows like if these things are true. Uh, teams say a lot of things, right, once they move on from a player. But it was really about, you know, just Amari's love for the game. You know, was, and, and, you know, people have questioned that before. John Gruden, you know, has Come questioned on, that. what the fuck does that mean? Are yeah, you kidding me? I, Amari dude, Cooper. I know. Dude, who, all right, let's say he doesn't love the game. So you're saying the guy doesn't love the game, but he's been seventh in receptions, ninth in receiving yards, and ninth in touchdowns since joining the Cowboys. So, sign me up for that. Then. Yeah, That's and he, and that he plays care. through he plays through injuries. I know he gets injured a lot, but dude, he tries to play through them. I know. That's why I was going. I thought it was kind of comical. That was like the one excuse they came up with. Um, like for me, whenever I was like looking just like, you know, at the data, I was like, man, Amari. Yeah, he does get dinged up, but he typically tries to play through it. You know, so, um, yeah, he struggled against the better cornerbacks in the league over the years. Um, but a lot of a lot of good receivers do. I, I think, you know, we've talked a ton about Amari. Amari. You know, there were always the hopes. That, here's the problem for Amari. The hope was always that he was going to be the next Julio Jones, right? This next truly elite, elite alpha. And he never quite lived up to that level. But really what receivers do, you know, um, Amari didn't end up having as good of run after the catch, you know, contested catch skills as some of the other guys that came along. But he's still an elite separator, a great route runner. Um, so Cleveland gets something good. And the Cowboys are definitely losing something. And I think this is going to be, you know, a test for the receivers that remain on the offense because Amari was a key component of wanting, when you wanted to go against man coverage, intermediate, underneath, needed to quickly get the ball out, Dak went to Amari Cooper a lot. Like he did go to Gallup the most in man coverage, but those, those were typically because when you see a man, you know, and you've got a single high safety, a lot of times that's when offenses like Dak and Tom Brady especially, like when they see that, they want to try to take their shot downfield and outside. Doesn't necessarily just mean the receiver's that open, but they don't like to throw into the double coverage type situations down the field against cover three, cover four, stuff like that. So they'll take their shots against single man. The problem will be, um, can the Cowboys replace Amari Cooper really as a chain mover? 
man, Amari just wants to, you know, go in, do his job, get home from practice, play chess for a few hours, you know, not make too many big, not, not make too Jones, much noise. Bro, Jones boys have to come after him. Yep. <laughs> not making too much noise in the media. Whereas, you know, I'm sure if he was out there, you know, pounding his chest after every touchdown, he'd be, uh, you know, a diva in a team, you know, doesn't care about the team. So got to love uh, how the mainstream media is tr- treating some of these wide receivers in the year 2022. But all that aside, Cedric Wilson, someone that I don't think the Cowboys were planning on losing, man. I mean, if he would have actually come back as their number three, I'm sure they would have been just fine with that, but signed a surprisingly steep three-year, $22 million contract with the Dolphins after his career best 2021. He will seemingly be replaced by James Washington, who signed a one-year, $1.2 million contract, maybe to be a number three, but Dwayne, I kind of think James Washington is more so Malik Turner uh, replacement, even like Cedric Wilson. Like I think Washington, come on, man, $1.2 million. Like he is there to be the number four wide receiver because Malik Turner and Cedric Wilson last year were working as those guys. And we saw Turner sign a similar $1.1 million deal with the 49ers. Like we're going to talk more about Jalen Tolbert and these wide receivers and stuff, but the James Washington stuff, former second round pick, that's fine. I like him. I, I don't think he's bad by any stretch. But at the same time, Dwayne, we saw more than a few wide receivers be just fine in that exact same Pittsburgh environment. This is not the sort of money to think that a starting spot is, you know, okay, maybe it's possible, but far from likely. Yeah, I, here's my hypothesis right now. Um, and again, we'll see. This is something we'll have to pay attention to in training camp and the kind of nuggets we'll actually be trying to glean, you know, proactively, um, since a lot of times like the reporters don't even know what they're looking for, (laughs) you know, and a lot of them do. So I don't want to make that sound too bad, but like we cut, we have some specific things we're looking for, but I am wondering if really it's not Michael Gallup working more intermediate along with CD lamb. And then really you've got Tolbert who really was a field stretcher in college. James Washington has been at his best as a field stretcher. You know, Malik Turner can play the field stretcher role. They may be looking to basically those three guys to say, look, one of you is really going to now take on the role that we had Gallup in, but we've paid Gallup now and we're going to, we're going to branch out right on the route tree. He's not just going to be the guy going down the field. So I'm the most excited for Gallup. Obviously we've got to talk about the ACL and what we're going through there, but I think there's potential that Gallup is really replacing some of the routes that we used to see from Amari. And that is the elephant in the room. I do realize Washington probably projects as a week one starter if Gallup is not going to be there. Last thing we heard on that was Jerry Jones calling Gallup a question mark for week one back in March. And that's concerning, Dwayne, because if Jerry Jones says you're a question mark, I mean, hell, I almost think like a pump appearance is like likely. <laughs> he's the opposite that. of Pete Carroll. Well, no, I guess he's the same as Pete Carroll. They're both like overly yes. optimistic. I'm trying to think of which other coach anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, he's very optimistic. Like, you know, Jerry always, he's definitely a glass half full kind of guy. So, so for him to already be saying that again about Gallup, I agree. Like that, that makes it a major question mark. Some of those, dude, I think when Romo had like his final back injury, Jerry like came out that night and was like, we've, we've ruled out this being like a major injury. And like the next day, it just all of a sudden blows up in his face. Just season. Time and time again. <laughs> final offseason move. Tight end Blake Jarwin, the team's 2020 week one starter, is an unrestricted free agent. Looks like he will not be back in Dallas. So Dalton Schultz took over that job, got the franchise tag. Too bad for Jarwin, someone that really did show a lot of seam stretching ability. Got a nice deal from the Cowboys. I know he was a popular sleeper in 2020. Ultimately, couldn't stay healthy down the stretch, though. So 
in the draft. Mentioned him already, but third-round wide receiver Jalen Tolbert is going to f- immediately challenge Washington for that number three wide receiver job. And depending on Michael Gallup's ACL recovery, both of them could be starting. Also, nab fourth-round tight end Jake Ferguson. He's going to be a clear backup. Schultz is one of those guys that plays almost every single snap, and the Cowboys figure to lean, again, heavily on their three wide receiver sets. Maybe they do go more two tight end. Either way, Ferguson is not going to have anything resembling a fantasy-relevant target load. So with all that in mind, Dwayne, let's talk some quarterback Dak Prescott. Since 2016, in terms of fantasy points per game, he's been the QB9, QB14, QB13, QB3, QB1, and then QB8. Note the QB1 was only in five games in that 2020 season. So he's one of only six quarterbacks to average at least 21 fantasy points per game since Kellen Moore took over as offensive coordinator in 2019. I mean, he's had these stretches, Dwayne, where I think this is why Cowboys fans should like, even though I think this year's team is probably worse than what they had last year overall, All they need, and this is what they're paying Dak for, they need Dak to have one of his five, six blistering game stretches just at the right time of the season because we've seen him start really the last three years looking like an absolute world beater. He's dealt with some you know nagging injuries here or there and ultimately just hasn't been able to put it through uh, the entire uh, season. So one, I think one of the best descriptions of Dak actually came from a Barstool Big Cat. I just heard him talking about it one time and he said that Dak you know doesn't really seem to lose many games but he leaves a lot of games wishing that Dak had maybe done more to go out there and get that win and that's kind of how I feel man. Like you Rarely after the Cowboys lose are you like, my God, Dak, like if he could have just been average, it would have been fine. It's usually just like, ah, paying you a lot of money. Really wish you could have put the team on your back there. So I guess the main question here with Dak is, Dwayne, do we think he really has that overall QB1 upside in his in his range of possibilities? Because some of the things we talked about in this offseason, the fact that quarterbacks do in fact run less as they get older. And in Dak's case, we saw that big time in 2021. Maybe it was just coming back from the injury. Uh, it was interesting to me. He only had one game with at least 20 rushing yards in like the first 13, 14 weeks of the year. Was able to hit that mark in three of his final four contests. Still though, man, with all that money, with the age, with just the you know willingness to I don't know preserve your body at least until it really matters overall thoughts on Dak and if we should be treating him more as just a low-end QB1 or someone that maybe could help decide a fantasy league yeah I think he's a low-end QB1 at this point Um, I think we could get a little more out of him from a rushing perspective last year we know he was coming back from the ankle and then he had the compensatory injuries so I mean I think Dak was not fully healthy, but he continues to improve as a passer. Last year was his best grade um, as a from a PFF passing grade standpoint. He's gone from a 73.4, 76.6, 80.4, and last year, 84.7. So by far, really his best outing as a quarterback. And when we look at the rushing, you know, I mean, last year, he still handled 6% of the design rushing attempts for the team, and that was in 16 games. Um, but it's not like what we had seen earlier in his career, where he might see 10 or 11%. I don't think we'll probably ever get back to that maybe we see six or seven percent but I think where we could see a little bit more from Dak is early on you know you would see his scramble rate like at five and a half percent five point eight percent and last year it was only at a three point two percent um the year before that obviously um you know an injury shortened season only in five games was at three point three percent but if he if he got that up to like four and a half five percent you know you get an extra 10 15 runs if one of those go for you know 20, 30 yards, all of a sudden, you know, you're getting a little bit more from a, 
from a rushing floor standpoint, but I'm not expecting a lot. I think most of Dak's progression is really now at this point in his career needs to come from his arm. And the problem that we have is what you just talked about. You've lost Amari Cooper. You've got Michael Gallup's going to potentially miss the beginning of the season or he's going to start slow. Dalton Schultz is a nice tight end, but he's not like this elite tight end that every team is scared of or anything like that, right? Like he's a guy that he's a complimentary piece. We like Dalton Schultz, but he's not, you know, he's not a game breaker. And so really, you know, things are weighing heavy on him and CD Lamb. You know, how much can they do just as a unit? And honestly, I think that puts a ton of pressure on Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore has got to figure out because up until this point, really, they've always had enough weapons that Dak you know, while I say this, you know, going uh, the last couple of years when Dak first got here, the weapons were terrible. But whenever you look at, you know, what they've done over the last couple of years is basically you drop back and you've got a mismatch pretty much anywhere on the field. And you're just reading the field and you're taking that throw. Now, I think Kellen Moore is going to have to be schematically more crisp. Like, how are you going to create looks for a guy like C.D. Lamb? How are you going to do some of the things that Debo Samuel gets? How are you? Gonna, and I'm not talking about running the ball, but play action, getting them in, in behind the linebackers in front of the safeties in space. Because really, whenever you look at C.D. Lamb, like last year, he wasn't really great against man. He was good against zone. So like, how are you going to move him around and create the matchups that you want? Like, that's, that's going to be the key for Dak. If Dak has a huge year, CD's just got to go off. Looking at the quarterback ranks, I think there's a pretty clear consensus. Top five, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. Dwayne, we both have Jalen Hurts right after that tier, thanks to him having plenty of that dual threat upside and just, you know, more rushing ability at this point than our next guys, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow. Then for me, Dak Prescott comes in as the QB9. That really is how Dak's going to need to win. Flirting with 5,000 passing yards, 40-plus touchdowns. Like, if he wants to pull off an overall QB1 performance, that's going to be his path to getting there. Maybe getting a little touchdown regression on the ground. He did have six rushing touchdowns in each of his first three seasons. Only one last year, two including the playoffs. So, is that kind of where you're falling on with Dak, Dwayne? He's in that Brady-Burrow tier where, you know, people might still think of Dak as a little bit more of a dual-threat guy. But at this point in his career, we need to accept that he is going to be winning through the air. Yep, I have that's the tier I have him in. You know, cool. he is he's gonna be more dependent on his arm. And he clearly does not have the same weapons as Brady or Burrow. Well, especially Burrow. Brady's dealing kind of with a sim with a similar situation. You got Evans, you got Goblin coming back. Gronk still has to, you know, resign, you lose A B. So um, but you know, Brady's Brady. You know, Dak, as much as we love him, you know, Brady definitely has far more skins on the wall. We know that he's gonna come through. Um, my question is like, where do you have him in relation to Russell Wilson? Because honestly, that's who I'm toying with. Like I, I'm really considering bumping Russ, I, even though he's 34 versus 29 years old for Dak. I'm really considering bumping Russ ahead of Dak Prescott. I mean, I just look at the weapons. I like him. I don't, he's not going to run as many plays as Dak. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. So, so Dak probably still has the edge as far as volume goes and passing attempts. But man, I just I feel like Wilson still has a little bit left in the tank as far as being a runner, and he's got the weapons. I am still giving the nod to Dak, but it's one yeah. spot difference. I wouldn't exactly, you know, have a different tier drop off or anything. With Dak, the weapons are worse. The offensive line is most likely going to be worse. Losing Lel Collins, everyone getting a year older, you know, just it's been a long time since they had all those, you know, one first round pick after another. I guess they did just add one, but, you know, not expecting him to immediately upgrade the entire unit. I guess my thing with Russ, it's like, it's a new team. We don't yeah. know if it's going to be exactly as good as Seattle. Yes, the weapons on paper are good for Denver, but a lot of that is kind of hoping there's they're questions. going to be better. There are some yeah, questions. Yeah, there's questions. So. With all, there's questions with every one of the weapons, right? Like, and, yeah. 
Yeah. But hold so, on, real quick. The one thing you mentioned about the volume, like I think that's where it really goes enough in Dak's favor. I'm yeah. more confident the Cowboys being a pass-first offense, and that Broncos defense, I think, is going to be much better than what the Cowboys are bringing together. Maybe Parsons is just enough of a freaking world beater that they're still going to be a pretty good unit, but they could be taking a step back on that side of the ball as well. The, so. the way I would summarize my feelings on Dak, you know, and I've done several drafts now. Last year. You know, he was he was a key to winning a draft. Anytime he slipped past ADB, ADP by, you know, five, six spots, like I was pouncing on Dak last year. I'm not doing that this year. Like I've seen Dak slide past ADP and I just let him go. So I think he's still fine, right? He's a player that we like, but he's not someone that we're super excited to draft. Small thing to keep an eye on. From March 21st, per John Machado, Dak said his left shoulder is doing better after the offseason surgery. Left shoulder, so non-throwing. He's throwing a couple times per week and expects to have a normal offseason. Just one of those things. We're with the Cowboys. We have heard this with Dak over the years where it's like, oh, yeah, not a big deal. Then how come you're rehabbing it the entire season, man? How come you're limited in all these practices? So the fact that his left shoulder is good and it seems like everything is going on schedule, uh, just keep that in mind. We don't want to be betting on players that are already too actively injured. Now, the main event, Dwayne. Let's talk some running backs. Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard, the one-two punch. I've inadvertently talked about Zeke on plenty of podcasts already. It's a very uh, touchy subject for me at this point in time. And my biggest beef is that Zeke Elliott is viewed by most of the football community as washed. He's not good anymore. Even bad. When I think a lot of that has to do with how damn good Tony Pollard is. But it's, he's better than almost everyone, man. Like, I think you would be really hard-pressed to form a statistical argument about Pollard being why he should be at number two anywhere other than, like, Indianapolis and Cleveland. Pollard, we'd be calling for him getting more touches in any backfield. It's not just Zeke, man. And when you add that to the fact that, yeah, Zeke has slowed down a little bit over the years. He's played six professional seasons, workhorse role. I understand he's not the same guy from 2016, but we just... Ignore the fact that he tore his freaking PCL in week four last year, Dwayne. When Derrick Henry got hurt, we don't hold him not playing eight games against him at all. We just say he was awesome before he got injured. He'll probably be awesome again in 2022. With Zeke, I feel like not enough people give credence, credit to the fact that he was playing really banged up and he was being a warrior through that. So weeks one through four before he got injured. Small sample size, but I don't just want to ignore the injury. 79.9 PFF rushing grade, 5.3 yards per carry, 3.4 yards after contact per carry. Weeks 5 through 18, 66.4 PFF rushing grade, 3.8 yards per carry, 2.5 yards after contact per carry. My first question, Dwayne, if Zeke had put forward, if he averaged 5.3 yards per carry in those first four weeks, he worked as, I believe, the overall RB6 in that stretch. If Zeke's season just ended after four games, do you think he would be going as a top 10, top 12 running back in fantasy? I think he definitely wouldn't be going as low as he's going now. You know, I, I think, you know, as fantasy football players are getting sharper and sharper, right. And learning to avoid a lot of these aging running backs, um, you know, unless you really just think there's like this huge case for like this monster season. Um, and I think with Zeke having Pollard there just caps it immediately. And so I think that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a player that we know is aging. We also know that they're, you know, we do have the small sample size last year that started to look good, but overall, like his yards after contact have been down over the last several seasons. You know, his missed tackles forced per attempt have been down over the last few seasons, not just last year after he was hurt. And then his breakaway attempts have been gone for like three years. Like he's yeah. just not breaking <laughs> long runs. So 
that basically limits your profile um, to, okay, I need to score a lot of touchdowns, you know, um, because we know that in the passing game. Now, now here's what I will say with Zeke. I was thinking through the Cowboys, you know, we've been doing our projections and stuff. I, I do think that he and Pollard could both potentially catch more passes this year, especially if Gallup starts off slow. We don't know what you're going to get out of Washington and some of these other guys. We do have Schultz, but essentially you've got Schultz and CeeDee Lamb, right? One of the easy ways, you know, where we see teams often pick up additional targets to the running backs, um, which are easy targets because a lot of times it's against zone, it's against linebackers, against safeties, just swing passes, things like that. You know, if you've got a bunch of elite players and a good quarterback typically those guys aren't going to get the targets there's more valuable places to put the ball but if you only have two guys like schultz and you will with you know cd lamb early in the season i do think we could see a boost um, for both players and that's something that i think you can argue for zeke last year he was definitely the guy out there on passing downs not pollard as much as we think about pollard probably being the better receiver Zeke is a guy that they trusted. Now, if all of a sudden, a lot of those times where he was just running that swing route and no one's throwing them, throwing in the ball, because if you looked at his routes run per drop back, like not quite in the elite level, but really good. Now, say 20% of those turn into they actually look to Zeke, you know, um, and not, and that wouldn't be a 20% target share guys. Cause he, he's, he does not, he's not getting a route on a hundred percent of, you know, Dax dropbacks, but I mean, it could turn into like 12, 15%. I think that's the sneaky place where Zeke could provide value that a lot of the fantasy community, including myself, until I really started digging into it, um, I think that's where he could provide some additional value. I, I don't think the big plays and think like that, things like that are going to come. I think those are really gone from Zeke. But if the Cowboys are a good offense, he, he's definitely going to have a shot at scoring 10 to 12 touchdowns. And if all of a sudden he could potentially catch 45 to 55 balls, it's going to be really hard for him to not finish inside at least the top 18 if he does those two things. Most likely, if he does those two things, he's going to finish in the top 12. I think a big question here, yeah, last year he caught, here's Zeke's receptions over the last four years, 77, 54, 52, 47. So it doesn't take much of a you know leap of faith to see him getting back over that 50 reception mark. The question is, do we think 2021 was as bad as it can get for Zeke or is there a you know unforeseen floor still out there? Because... I hear you on Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard's fantastic. If we were running the Cowboys, Dwayne, we would probably start Tony Pollard over Ezekiel Elliott. I'm sure most of the listeners out there would do that as well. The Cowboys still have 90 million reasons why they are not going to do that. If they were not going to feature Tony Pollard last year, and they, you know they did increase his workload, but... If they weren't going to do it then, when the hell is it going to happen, man? Because that was the time. Zeke was playing through the pain, and they did cut it back. Zeke, one through four, played at least 70% of the snaps every single game, as he's done really throughout his entire Cowboys career. Only hit that threshold twice from week five through the wild card. With all that in mind, Dwayne, again, I mentioned that 3.8 yards per carry down the stretch. He was bad after getting hurt. I watched it. I'm not trying. Hurt Zeke was bad last year. And even during that stretch, he was the PPR RB19 on a per-game basis. I'm not even using the overall numbers where we can paint Zeke out to be an RB1 on the season. I'm saying per-game, hurt Zeke was the PPR RB19. And when he wasn't hurt, he was a top six back like we've seen in the past. Even with hurt Zeke being heavily subbed out by Tony Pollard more than we've ever seen. He still had 284 touches. This is the first time we have ever been able to get Zeke closer to his floor than his ceiling. So do we really think he's that bad where we just can't invest in him in the fourth or fifth round? I mean, Zeke averaged more yards per touch than Najee Harris last year. I don't think anyone really gives a shit about that for Najee because of that sweet, sweet volume. Zeke's volume isn't quite at that level. I'm not arguing he should be in the top, you know, even eight or 10 backs, but man, 
in that fourth or fifth round, Dwayne, I do think there's something to be said here for Zeke because, like you said, he needs that touchdown upside. Well, he's in the reigning number one scoring offense. That's a good start. Don't think they're going to be quite that good, but still, potential top 10 offense. Zeke Elliott, man. Any running back, any running back that has a legit chance at touching 300, that uh, touching the ball 300 plus times deserves our attention in the early rounds of drafts. Zeke is actually starting to become a mid-round pick. Why are we not getting in on that? Yeah, I think, you know, so I've thought a lot about Zeke, too. Um, I think he's an arbitrage play on James Conner. <laughs> yeah. You know, he could potentially have the same exact role as James Conner. And James Conner is also not an explosive player, right? He does not break a lot of long runs. He really depends on getting the receptions, and he depends on scoring the touchdowns. So I think we can really equate the two together. But, I mean, what you said about Pollard, um, I found the same thing. You know, if you look at the year of 2020, Pollard handled 25% of the team rushing attempts in 16 games versus Zeke in 15 games handled 61% of the Cowboys' uh, market share in the rushing game. And then last year, it only moved up to 29% for Tony Pollard. He only bumped up 4%. So I think they do have a specific role in mind for Pollard. Now, maybe Pollard could climb to 35 40%. Maybe that happens. But to your point, like when Zeke was already hurt last year, now Pollard did end up getting hurt later in the year, but he wasn't hurt early. You know, there was plenty of time for him to take over a larger role, you know, I'm with you as far as I don't see the roles changing that much. Maybe it turns into 55, 35 with someone else working in, you know, a little bit as well. Um, I think the big thing with Zeke is it's all priced in right now at ADP. Like the worst case I really do believe is other than a season ending injury. I think the worst case for Zeke is priced in. Um, (laughs) And and so I, I think it's like you always say, hate the ADP, not the player. And so Zeke, is he a guy that I'm going to be going out and targeting and trying to get a lot? Originally, no, I wasn't. But um, the more I look at it, um, and dude, it's it's not just Zeke. It's We have this combustible chamber known as wide receivers going in rounds three through eight. Man, there are so many bust potentials in That's there. That's what I wanted right to bring now. up. And looking at underdog fantasy ADP, like I think people just say, they want to be like, no, I'm not taking Zeke. Look at who he's going up against once we get into the fourth and fifth rounds. Like the ADP from spot 41 to 49 is DK Metcalf, Marquise Brown, Amari Cooper, Zeke, Chris Godwin, Terry McLaurin, David Montgomery, J.K. Dobbins. Like, I'm not saying you need to absolutely have Zeke at the top of that, but we have similar questions about all these guys. Yeah, I think, so with Zeke, he's priced to his floor, which is good. Do I think if you don't draft Zeke, you're going to be in danger of losing your fantasy league? No, I don't think he's going to blow things up so much. But I do think a domino effect of you passing on a Zeke or a James Conner or somebody, or even a David Montgomery, whatever, a back that we normally would call a dead zone back, and you replace them with Deontay Johnson, he ends up busting. You turn around the next you know round and you fire off again, say it's Jerry Judy, he ends up busting. If you start stacking all these things together – you know, all of a sudden, you know, you are in a situation where you're going to where Zeke might have been a better pick for you. So I don't think Zeke alone is going to blow up and may, and be like this league winner for anyone. But I also don't think he's going to lose you a league where he's going unless he is injured and he goes out for the season. Now, the odds of that probably are increasing. We know he's over the 2000 um, touch limit or the 1500 carry mark. I've been looking at the receptions as well that we've talked about with Tage on the show. So he's, he's got a lot of red flags, but but like we said, it's all priced in. That's the bottom line. 1500 carry mark right now, Zeke, Melvin Gordon, Derek Henry, only active starters that have surpassed that. And, 
let's be clear about that, though. We're expecting them not, you know, to be like below expectation in terms of their yards per attempt. But once again, it's that sweet, sweet volume that the Cowboys have been committed to giving Zeke, and we're not expecting that to stop. Dwayne, we previewed the Jets last week. I think we both agreed. I have Brees Hall one spot ahead of Zeke, and I just think there's enough, you know, quote unquote, league winning, as the kids would say, upside there to chase <laughs> Brees Hall there. With Zeke, compared to Dave Montgomery, I would take him over Montgomery for the overall upside of the Cowboys offense. And I think with the new coaching staff in Chicago, it's not even a given that Montgomery will have necessarily a bigger role than Zeke. Cam Akers, I don't really think he's going to be the workhorse running back. A lot of people expect him to be. Elijah Mitchell, we've talked about the lack of a pass floor. They just drafted a running back in the third round. Dobbins crowded backfield. ETN injury stuff and a bad offense. I think Zeke at RB17 is the right spot. Yeah, I have him right in that range. I'm, I'm going to have him behind David Montgomery. I get what you're saying about the about the Cowboys' offense for sure. I just I feel more comfortable with Montgomery's role, honestly, than Zeke. I, mean, I have him really close, but I, I I don't think Montgomery's really at much risk of losing that much work. I do think Khalil Herbert's going to be involved, but I think it'll be like a 65-35 kind of thing, right? Maybe 60-40. I think it'll be similar to Zeke. He's the younger player, so I'm just less worried about the injury. But I totally get the argument, you know, around the offense. Um, so yeah, we're pretty close on where we have them. Like I would take, um, you know, I think where it gets interesting is would you rather take some of these explosive guys that we know are going to share work like Travis Etienne? you know, would you rather have him or would you rather have Zeke? Would you rather have Elijah Mitchell or Zeke, right? Elijah Mitchell's a guy that we know Debo doesn't really want to play running back. Like he wants to play receivers. So does that open up additional things for Mitchell? Well, they drafted Tyrion Davis price also in the draft and we know how Shanahan can be. So it, that's where it really becomes more of a question for me is like waiting some of the guys that we think may maybe they're younger they're more explosive if the role fell their way you know maybe they have like you said as the kids say that that quote-unquote league winning upside especially etn right he's an explosive playmaker and we know he's also going to be involved in the passing game james robinson's coming off of injury so when i think about you know montgomery and acres and zeke um i think of them as all being really similar to your point where I think the contrast is, is what about the upside guys? And you already named Brees Hall. So I think Travis Etienne is kind of right there along with Brees Hall. Looking at Tony Pollard now. Again, things went great for him last year. Career high, five and a half yards per carry. Career high, 46 targets. 169 touches were a full 40 than he had the previous year. He had over 1,000 yards from scrimmage. Like, it was a great year from Tony Pollard. Throwing that dope kick return touchdown he had against the Raiders. Like, you can see why the Cowboys upped his usage. He was the RB 39 in PPR points per game. That's what a lot of best case scenario things produced for Tony Pollard. Now, obviously the best, best case scenario is Zeke getting hurt. Man, he's missed one game due to injury in his entire career. I just, at RB 31, where Tony Pollard's going, Dwayne, why not take Alexander Madison three rounds later? Pollard is someone that I just can't get behind when he's going next to guys like Kareem Hunt, James Cook, Chase Edmonds, I mean, Damian Pierce even. There's just so many guys I think have... I, I don't want to be drafting a guy in the freaking, you know, eighth or ninth round just as a handcuff. That's insane. Yeah, so I think the thing with Pollard that's different than Madison is, to, you know, yes, ultimately they're both handcuffs and where their biggest value comes from is if the player in front of them goes down. And I would think, you know, with, with Dalvin Cook, he's not quite to that 1,500 touch mark where we start getting really, you know, worried, but he's getting close to it, right? He's getting up there in age, and he's a guy that's battled a lot of the shoulder injuries. So I could totally get that from that aspect. But I think, especially like in best ball formats, I'm a lot more comfortable with Pollard in the eighth round because I know that he still can come through. 
um, with the spike weeks just on his 10 touches that he's going to get per game. You know, his 1.90 yards per route run, we know he's really good out of the backfield. You know, he's very explosive. 13% of his carries go for 10-plus yards or more. So there's a lot of ways that Pollard can contribute, you know, to the offense. Is he going to regularly be getting 20 touches? No. But, I mean, he can have that 10 to 12, and if he comes through with a long play – comes through with a couple of receptions in the right game script, I think that he can give you that added value, especially in best ball. If you are in a redraft league, and I know this because I drafted Pollard a ton last year, you do not ever know when to start him unless Zeke's hurt. So, I mean, it really becomes just like Madison at that point. So for me, in redraft, I think Pollard's a guy that I will be considering less. I will probably be under the market on exposure to Pollard in redraft, but I'm going to be over the market or right or even with the market on my exposure to Pollard in, um, in best ball leagues. Could we argue that Pollard coming back from injury is like actually worse than Zeke? I mean, let's not forget he tore the plank... It's I, I'm not even gonna try to pronounce. He tore something in his foot. Was man. it? It was Liz Franck, right? No, it was, was his Liz Franck, or was it? Plant, it was plant. It was plantar fascia. That's what. Yes, it was. Yeah. fascia. Thank yeah. God, I did not yeah. want to announce that. On it was on that sick touchdown run he had against the Saints, and then he he tore that in his foot. And apparently, Dude, I was my dad had up. my dad deals with that. Like he, he gets like these flare ups with it, and like he can't like he can barely walk. Like it takes like a week. <laughs> so yeah, but they say typically the players you know, when you look at that injury and I'm not a doctor, like we can get, you know, like Edwin Porras or somebody like that on to, to really talk about it. But typically um, from the research that I've read and things that I've looked at, like that's just not an injury that we're worried about the next season. Usually players do fully heal unless you're old, like my dad. Sorry. Dad. <laughs> Looks like he didn't need off season surgery. You know, accordingly to, according to the medical source that wrote the article, I quickly Googled the way he tore it was as good as, you know, surgical intervention. And then you just kind of allow it to heal. So just trying to, cover all those bases Dwayne don't want to leave a single rock uh, unturned Pollard will be someone that we're a little bit lighter on compared to the masses wide receiver C.D. Lamb Michael Gallup Jalen Tolbert James Washington and Noah Brown I'm just happy they got Tolbert and James Washington there so we don't have to deal with the C.D. Lamb versus Noah Brown uh, predicament because my god those guys look alike when they're out there one of you change your numbers like Noah Brown man you talk about someone that could really benefit from going to a single digit number you want to look fast you want to look a little thinner man Noah Brown go get number five or something bro trust me with C.D. Lamb though I'm all in wide receiver five this year Dwayne, we've talked about kind of uh, throughout this offseason, just looking at what PFF receiving grade can mean early in the careers and finding nice buckets and then kind of looking at, hey, how much of an exception would it be for this guy to just become a great fantasy player based on what we've seen so far? And for CeeDee Lamb, we are in the right company. Looking at wide receivers that have posted a PFF receiving grade higher than 80 in their first two seasons over the past 10 years. OBJ, Michael Thomas, A.J. Brown, Mike Evans, A.J. Green, Tyreek Hill, Jarvis Landry, Terry McLaurin, Chris Goblin, Juju, Keenan Allen, Julio Jones, Stephon Diggs, Cooper Cup, Randall Cobb, Allen Robinson, Sammy Watkins, Alshon Jeffrey, and D.J. Moore. The four qualifiers from the 2020 class, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, and C.D. Lamb. That's fantastic company. All we could ask for, CD got better from his first to second year in pretty much every single category, particularly the yards after the catch ability, something he was lauded at during his time at Oklahoma. But like Dwayne, you know, just from the eye test, 2020 versus 2021, I just thought CD looked so much more explosive. He looked physical out there. He looked like a freaking string bean in 2020, man. Like he just wasn't big enough. I mean, the dude just turned 23 years old. Uh, yeah, in April. So. He's still growing, seemingly, as a physical specimen, and he's getting better, man. 
Why should we not treat Lamb as an upside wide receiver one, Dwayne, other than he hasn't done it before? No, I think we have to. Um, I have Lamb at four. Ooh, over Diggs? <laughs> I have, I, yeah, I have him above Diggs. I mean, okay. I have him right there next to each other in the same tier. And it's really for all the same reasons that you just mentioned, like all of the underlying metrics. The only thing that, that you know Lamb doesn't have, right, he still doesn't even have an adjusted uh, target share of 20%. So that's accounting for, for games missed. You know, he's been to the 19% mark last year. He was 17% his first year. But if you look at him, the targets per route run, 21%. Then that went to 22%. Yards per route one, 1.81 1. to then 2.06%. And if you really look at it, his routes run per dropback, 72%, then went to 76%. We've talked about this a little bit before, but the thing I love with Lamb is if he doesn't improve any for some reason, right, which we both think he's going to, you just named the list. Like he's on this list of like all of these really great players and what they've been able to do. And then if for some reason it didn't work out just by Lamb, like, look, there's no way Lamb can't be out there for 90 to 95% of the passing plays this year. You know, unless he gets hurt, right? He's got to be out there that much. So you're going to get an automatic 20% increase in the number of times he's out there running a route with Dak Prescott throwing the ball. And so even if he stays at his 21% targets per route run, like he's still going to pick up like an additional 25 targets just on running the additional routes. So even if he doesn't take a step forward, it's like you have this worst case scenario with Lamb that you're still going to pick up targets. And I think the fact of the matter is, though, he's probably also going to take a step forward. So now you're going to have him out there more. And you're going to see a player that's really coming into his own in year three. And the thing I love with Lamb, even though he misses a little bit, right, on those target share numbers um, and these the new tiers that you guys will be able to see, they're going to be posted tomorrow. I've already submitted them. I worked on this thing for like a day and a half. I got Ian's feedback. He chewed me up. He chewed me out about some shit. You know, <laughs> we went back and forth about how to structure some of this. But the whole goal really is to give you guys all this information where you can see, look, here's basically the player's talent, their 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 pedigree is a far as ability to create, you know, targets. And then you have their ability once they get the ball in their hand, right? Can they work deep down the field? Are they explosive? You know, their yards after the catch, all these different things. So can they get open and get targets? What do they do with the ball once they get it in their hands? And then also, well, what kind of offense are they in? Well, we already covered the Cowboys offense, so I don't need to say it again, but here's the bottom line. I wish I could screen share right now, Ian, but CeeDee Lamb is blue across the board. There's only two other receivers on my chart that are blue completely across the board. Their names are Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Cooper Cup's there too, relax, folks, but he's 29.3. That shows up as a slight kind of a, you know, I don't know, it's like a pinkish red on this particular chart that we're looking at. So Lamb, man, it just looks good across the board, but when you look at his explosive play rate, 25% of his receptions went for uh, 15, or of his targets went for 15 yards or more. His yards after the catch, 5.5. All of those things are lining up with where you want to be historically versus a wide receiver one. So now, even if it's just the routes, like, we're going to get more targets if he does take a step forward and target share. Like he has in his range of outcomes, wide receiver one overall. Three main reasons I listed in my article. Again, you can check out all these team previews on pff.com. will continue to be updated uh, throughout the upcoming weeks. Number one, potential to make an aforementioned leap from great, which he is right now, to holy freaking shit. We're looking at one of the best players in the league. Number two. That's your tier name? Yes, the holy, the holy freaking shit tier. <laughs> Number two, there's more available targets than anywhere. And I'm not saying that we need to be uh, available targets of the end-all, be-all. You know, we've talked about this before. But, you know, for some of these stats, look at the outliers. The Cowboys are an outlier in terms of having more opportunity than just about anyone. And I understand that we can't just take 
all of Amari Cooper's, all of Malik Turner's targets and just give them the CeeDee Lamb. But, you know, even the biggest hater of available targets has to be able to admit that CeeDee Lamb competing against an injured Michael Gallup, a third-round rookie, and James Washington is better than a fully healthy Michael Gallup and Amari freaking Cooper. I think we could at least find some common ground with that. And reason number three, his continuity relative to the other top, continuity and I would say competition relative to the other top fantasy receivers. Because, Dwayne, again, it all is relative to the other guys we're trying to rank him against. So we have Cup, Chase, Jefferson, clearly top three. We talked about Diggs in the team preview. You have him five, I have him four. Not too much of a difference, I think, from CD other than the age. Everyone else, Devontae Adams, now with Derek Carr. Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, that's more competition than he had in Green Bay. Tyreek Hill with Tua. Jalen Waddle, hey, only one ball to go around. We'll see what happens uh, in Miami. Keenan Allen, now 30, has Mike Williams and Austin Eckler in the offense. That's more competition than CD. Debo Samuel, trade rumors aside, will seemingly, probably, maybe be catching passes from Trey Lance now and even more run first offense. Mike Evans, in a good spot, but Chris Goblin coming back similar to Gallup, and I, I still think Rob Gronkowski is going to play this year. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would have, at some point in this offseason, made a move to spruce up their tight end room if they were really thinking that Gronk could retire, but Evans, I'm higher on than most as well. T. Higgins, maybe he doesn't have the best case you know, scenario as Lamb. He's got Jamar Chase in the offense. That's just a fact of the matter, and A.J. Brown is now in Philly, so that's kind of like, Dwayne, I think we kind of have a similar group of guys before we get into that just muddled as hell tier of, you know, the wide receiver twos. And it's just, all these guys are great wide receivers. And I think just when, like overall talent wise, I'm not confident enough in guys like Adams, Hill, Keenan, Debo, Evans. I don't think their talent is in, in such another stratosphere as CD in the year 2022 for us to rank them ahead of him when CD has, I guess, superior numbers in every other, you know, box from a volume quarterback projected target standpoint. Yeah, I, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I feel like I should share my screen. We're just going to do it. Are you good? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Fuck it. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. I, and just because it just, it, it it shares, you know, what you're talking about. Like, so people can see this is this is my workbook that I use for the tier article. And so I'll, I'll blow it up a little bit more here so people aren't like trying to, you know, don't be trying to read this while you're driving, folks. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so, but look at Lamb, man. Like, and this is against all the other receivers. I mean, so, like, he's younger than Diggs and Adams. And you just mentioned, like, yeah, you know, the 18% target share, look, it does not stack up with these other guys. But all the other things you talked about, you already hit on the PFF receiving grade. If you look at the targets per route run, they're pretty solid. The yards per route run, like, all of the other things are there for Lamb. Like, and if you look at Stefan Diggs, like, he has some areas like that he actually, you know, regressed last year a little bit. Now, he's in a great offense, has a great quarterback. So we love, we love Diggs as well. Devontae Adams, yeah, blows him away as far as targets per route, yards per route run. He's been doing this for three seasons in a row. But like you mentioned, like he's also older, 29.7, and he's going to have a little more target competition. We're not saying Devontae Adams, folks, is going to get 22% of the targets this year. If, if I thought that, I wouldn't have him ranked in the same tier, right, with Stefan Diggs and CeeDee Lamb. Um, so I think he's still going to be good for 26, 27% of the targets on his team. You know, maybe 25%, like that could happen as well. But to your point, like there is a risk. Like he's changing teams. He's losing the guy he's played with for Aaron Rodgers. And look, the fact of the matter is Lamb's just younger, man. You know, Lamb's younger than these guys as well. And so um, I, I'm all in with you on Lamb this season. Like I just, uh, I think he checks all the boxes that we want to see. Like, in fact, like if this number, if he had had a target share that had been 20, 22%, he would already be in the tier above. 
Like he would already be in tier one. That's the only thing standing between him and Jamar Chase. And look at him on a per route basis. CD Lamb actually has a, a higher targets per route run than Jamar Chase. I mean, so <laughs> yeah, it's it, CD Lamb. It's like it's definitely it's just wills up, man. You got to go get it. Let's talk some Michael Gallup now. Just signed a five-year, $57.5 million contract to stay in Dallas for the foreseeable future. Question is, when is the present going to be? Because he did suffer that late season torn ACL and then did not have surgery to repair that until February. Mentioned earlier that owner Jerry Jones has already called Gallup a question mark for week one. Dwayne Gallup, someone that as I was uh, researching my team preview, I dropped a bunch in the ranks just because it really does seem like he he's maybe not going to be out there until maybe October, maybe November. We don't know. I do love when these doctors throughout the industry get into my, or just at least medical experts get into my mentions when I'm tweeting about this shit. So we got Jeff Mueller, PT, DPT, not sure what those stand for, but enjoy his Twitter presence. He said that Michael Gallup, who injures ACL on January 2nd, initial report said only ACL, but makes you think there was an excessive swelling delaying surgery. Surgery. Could it be an MCL tear? He said it's weird that he still hasn't had surgery. Likely won't be full go until November or December based on that recovery timeline from having a February ACL surgery. And PFF's own Mario Pilato noted that likely early October at the earliest is when Gallup could be back. So Dwayne, if Gallup was healthy, man, you could see a scenario oh, where he actually works as like an upside wide receiver too. Someone yeah. that we could put right there alongside, I think like guys like Allen Robinson and stuff in the top 30. I had him more along that wide receiver three borderline being optimistic about it. I got I to gotta get him down. He's my wide receiver 48 right now. I would take all the first round rookies aside from Jahan Dotson ahead of him. I'm taking Russell Gage, Tyler Boyd, Brandon Ayuk ahead of him. I like I love fading injuries in fantasy football when they haven't happened yet. When the entire public is like, "Hey, this guy's gonna get hurt. You can't trust him. He's gonna get hurt, but he's healthy right now." Yeah, I'll 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 fight against that person eight days of the week. Big difference when the guy is already injured, like Michael Gallup, Dwayne. I'm not so sure 2022 is the year we want to be behind him. Yeah, I have him at 49. Uh, FFPC position ADP right now is 51 overall, thanks to FantasyMojo.com. Um, I agree. I mean, I was just thinking about Gallup, you know, I mean, obviously we're getting ready for this pod. No shit. I was thinking about him. Um, <laughs> it's not some kind of weird thing, but anyway, like I'm just scrolling up, like what you were just mentioning. Um, like, like to me at a minimum Gallup would have been like in this tier that I'm highlighting with like Elijah Moore, Donnell yep. Mooney, Gabriel Davis, Drake London, maybe argument for this tier. Jerry, Judy, Chris Godwin, Marquise Brown, Mike Williams. Actually, that's probably where he would have landed. If he had not gotten hurt, Amari Cooper moves on. He gets this, this new deal just like what he did. He would be in this tier. He would be a top 24 receiver. So I think he's definitely a player that we just really have to keep an eye on. Um, you know, I appreciate all the docs on Twitter, and I've, I've been trying to, like, read the tea leaves and pick up, you know, the awesome information that they lay down as well. But I think we'll really start to get more information once we get closer to training camp. Like if things start to sound more optimistic and all of a sudden we're starting to see that he's going to be practicing and we think that he could be, you know, out there by late September, you know, early October, that's going to change. Right. And we'll move Gallup up. Um, ADP is already pretty sharp on him. I, I think, you know, he's basically right where you and I have him ranked. Um, so I think he's still a player that, you know, I'm not completely fading um, just because the ADP is, I think, accurately priced in where he's at from an injury perspective. But we're really going to have to pay attention to this one because he could also go down from here. Like if yeah. we if we think he's not going to play until November, like you shouldn't he shouldn't even be in the top 50 wide receivers. One more doctor note from Dr. Jesse Morse. After his delayed ACL surgery, there's a good chance Gallup may not debut until October. And if he has any setbacks, then November. Yeah, it's just. 
Just not a situation we want to be dealing with. But with one guy being out, leaves opportunity for the others. Jalen Tolbert and James Washington. Tolbert, someone that I'm really enjoying targeting, you know, at his current ADP. I have him as wide receiver 60. Might try to bump him up a little bit. Uh, but just looking kind of at the situation right now, Dwayne, he's a poor man's like Russell Gage. We're not sure Tolbert is as good as Gage has demonstrated over the years. But we're looking at a probable starter, starter in three wide receiver sets who has the chance to work as the number two while the team wide receiver two is injured and a great offense that we're expecting to rack up plenty of pass attempts. Jalen Tolbert has, you know, if even once Gallup's back, I see what you're saying about James Washington, Jalen Tolbert potentially splitting things on the outside, but I think we would rank Tolbert usually as a wide receiver four, wide receiver five, you know, once we're in like week eight or something and Gallup's back in the picture. But man, if Gallup is sidelined, there's a chance that Tolbert could be an upside wide receiver three during this stretch and he's not being priced like it overall thoughts on Tolbert versus Washington who you kind of want to throw a dart on for a starting receiver in this Cowboys offense yeah I, I mean I'm not as high as you are on him but I am targeting him and I think that like you gave the accurate summary you know um I, I'm I think I'm a little less bullish on like how bad Michael Gallup even though our rankings are close like I'm, I'm just not as bought in yet on that Michael Gallup's not going to play until later in the season. So I think that's something that I want to see, but at the same time even if we have Michael Gallup come back and be healthy, like my chip if I was saying that, you know, I have to pick one player that could be the third wide receiver on the Cowboys, Mazzy says that it's also Jalen Tolbert, like this yeah. just done, like yeah. breaking news. So yeah, <laughs> I, it is Tolbert. And and if for some reason Gallup is out until November, Wow. Like, yeah, Tolbert could really have some additional value. James Washington. Do we really care? He could give us some nice streaming weeks early on in the year. Solid DFS piece. I just don't really see where the upside comes. Yeah, I look, you mentioned it early, right? On the on the beginning when we started talking about the Cowboys. James Washington played for who? The Steelers. The Steelers churn out these receivers, yet he could never get it going. He had flashes. Definitely had some flashes um, at his best, typically down the field. So yeah, could he still get some love? You know, could he could he play a role like you mentioned DFS? Maybe show a flash here or there. Yeah, but I would much rather put my chip on Tolbert. I'm I'm not gonna have much exposure if if any at all to James Washington. And if I do, it's most likely gonna be redraft. I, I think that very easily in best ball, he could be a complete just dead square. Good news for James Washington. 2022 would be the first year he's not catching passes from Mason Rudolph since 2013, Dwayne. He's had to go through hell for the last decade. At least, uh, hopefully, practice will have a few more catchable balls thrown his way. Tight end, we got Dalton Schultz. And then, again, just a bunch of backups and Sean McKeon, Jake Ferguson, Jeremy Sprinkle even, who we're not expecting to be doing much of anything with Schultz. You know, he's not the most athletic guy in the world. He's not someone that was popping in our model since the time he was a rookie, but all he does is score fantasy points, Dwayne. Six tight ends averaged at least 12 PPR points per game last season. Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Gronk, Dalton Schultz, and Darren Waller. Now, Gronk and those other guys, other than Waller, were above 14, so there was a bit of a drop-off. No one's trying to come here and tell you Schultz is a top five tight end. But man, it was consistent. And look at the raw numbers too. Only Kelsey and Andrews had more total weeks as a top 12 PPR tight end than Schultz last year. There's no style points. All those same things about available targets helping out CeeDee Lamb could feasibly be helping out Schultz as well. If you look at it, man, 
Prescott has had 23 starts over the last two seasons. In those starts, Cooper had 162 targets. Lamb had 159. Schultz had 139. Like, we have sat here after prolonged... I think it was like week five or something last year, and Schultz had been the number one receiver for like three or four straight weeks, Dwayne. It doesn't make sense. I agree with you that Schultz isn't someone that defenses, I think, are overly concerned with. And maybe losing someone like Cooper hurts that a little bit. But we got the franchise tag. It's still a good offense. I am comfortable drafting Schultz ahead of perceived and I think re- like really are better real life tight ends like TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard. Give me Schultz over them because I like the offense and I think he's going to have more receiving yards and ultimately that's the game we're playing. Yeah, I think if we have to say right now who's going to be the number two receiver on the Cowboys and it doesn't have to have, you know, a position designation, like it's Dalton Schultz, yep. right? I mean, he's already proven it. And, you know, we don't want to act like he's a complete spare because he's not. Like a 1.47 yards per route runs, pretty salty for a tight end. Like it's not like, you know, Travis Kelsey level. But who who is Travis Kelsey level, right? Basically, <laughs> Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, you know, Darren Waller's gotten up there. Uh, Mark Andrews, those guys have lived in that territory. But Dalton Schultz, you know, he could be borderline like what we got out of Zach Ertz two or three years ago when Zach Ertz was awesome, you know, and he was giving us, you know, uh, those 80 to 100 reception seasons. Like I, I think that's in the range of outcomes, you know, for Dalton Schultz, I have him in the same tier as the other guys that you mentioned. Um, but at the same time, like he's going after TJ Hawkinson. Um, he's going after Dallas Goddard. So that makes me like, um, Dalton Schultz that much more, um, because I have him in the same tier anyway. And I agree with you. Like, if I had to pick one of those players, like, you know, I don't have the tight end, you know, tiers finished yet. We'll have those here, like, next week. But if I were to show you the same grid that I just showed you for receivers, what you would see for Dalton Schultz is he would kind of be, like, this light blue on, like, his production metrics and stuff. Like, he wouldn't be up there with the elites. But once you looked over at his team, it's going to be all dark blue because he plays in the same offense that C.D. Lamb plays in. And there's and it's not like we have multiple guys right now going in the top 36, right, or top 12 um, at tight end and wide receiver as far as ADP goes. Um, so it's not like he has a ton of competition. Really, it's just C.D. Lamb. That's all we're looking at. Yes, Tolbert could come in and, and make a splash, but if we had to put a chip down, it's going to be Lamb. It's going to be Schultz. I think there's a really good shot that like Dalton Schultz could see uh, 20% of the targets this year, and it's not just like giving him opportunity. This is a player that's taken a step forward every single year. He's doing things that like Dalton Schultz and a lot of these other guys haven't done. His targets per route run have gone from 13% to 15% to 18%. His yards per route run have gone from 0.40, I know, nowhere to go but up from there, 1.11 and then 1.47. You know, and I mean, look, the pecking order is the pecking order. So I think there is a really good shot. Like, I think you could project him, you know, at like 16 to 18% of the targets. But if he gets 20%, like, it's just icing on the cake. Truly an every down tight end there for him as well. I mean, five, even including the playoffs, six. And uh, if I want to go 80%, just snaps, man. 10 different games throughout the year, you know, was never below 60 for a single game. That's something you need to worry about for a legit crop of these tight ends. I mean, someone like Dawson Knox with OJ Howard coming to the picture, uh, far more concerned for me. Overall, last year, Schultz, one of just six players at the position with triple-digit targets, and he scored eight touchdowns. Like, that's the ceiling we have in this offense. If he scored double-digit touchdowns, wouldn't be the craziest thing ever. So, out of all these Cowboys, Dwayne, CeeDee Lamb, alpha season. We're okay on Jalen Tolbert as a uh, late-round pick. Actually, more than okay. We really like him. Not so high on Tony Pollard. Zeke, all the bad things that we recognize are already baked into his ADP, so don't be afraid to take him at or below value. Dak, probably going to do more Dak things as a low-end QB1. Dalton Schultz might just be a number two receiver in this offense. About about sum it up. 
Yeah, I'm I'm higher on Pollard than you are, but I I get you know where you're coming from. I still think Pollard definitely uh, is in my crosshairs for best ball formats. Um, you know, in redraft, I'll either be even or slightly below you know the market on my on my roster ship, but it won't be way below. But but overall, like yeah, on all the other stuff, like we're we're exactly aligned. Before we get out of here, I want to give a quick shout-out to some of our sponsors. First up, Sunday. Does your lawn have weeds, bare patches, or pet spots? Sunday can help you solve all these problems and more the easy way. They've got everything you need from fertilizer to seeds to weed control, and it's all delivered right to your door. And they're offering our lovely listeners 20% off. Full-season plans start at just $129, and you can get 20% off at checkout when you visit GetSunday.com forecast. That's 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com forecast. Also, shout out to our friends over at Underdog Fantasy, doing multiple streams per week over there with them, playing their best ball mania tournament, which has $10 million in total prize money. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you also sign up with the promo code PFF. If you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So again, they will double your deposit up to $100 when you sign up and then just play a single game using $10 and you will get a free PFF subscription using code PFF. Go draft that best ball mania team today and go win some of that money and also want to invite all you lovely listeners out there to sign up for a pf subscription using code fantasy we'll get you 25 off at any point throughout the season maybe you already have an underdog account aren't aren't you know available to get that lovely deal so head on over to pff use code fantasy get all of our locked article content rankings data and grades from the entire 2021 season upcoming 2022 season all that and so much more support the pod and use promo code fantasy for 25 off any sub Dwayne, we've knocked out five of these. 27 more to go, man. Yeah, the dreaded and feared Eagles are next. We will get to that right after I refill my cup of coffee. More great thoughts on the way for Mr. McFarlane and myself. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.